Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello. Hello and welcome to IEEE Software Box Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Marwa. Uh, I am Professor Gursel Alicic. I'm from University of Wollongong. I'm leading a research program called uh, Soft Robotics for Prosthetic Devices. Mm-hmm. Great. So before going your work, because you are a leader in, in soft robotics and artificial muscle research, what is the first robot, soft robot you build and what is the feeling when you have the first soft robotics? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that's a big question. The, I mean, thanks to my students, to my researchers. And so if I start, depending on how you describe soft, soft robot, and I think many years ago when I started working on artificial muscles, electroactive polymers, and uh, so I was working with a group of material scientists. They were making these brilliant Electro materials and my background is in robotics, so I had to come with some novel ideas to to to, to use their materials as the actuation and sensing elements to mm-hmm. show the the capabilities of the materials they are making. The first one we built actually was a, a swimming robot, a, f- a fish, mm-hmm. a swimming fish or, or robotic fish. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was many years ago. It was a very simple concept based on uh, some smart actuators made of electroactive polymers. So I could say maybe that was my first uh, soft robotics project many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. 15 mm-hmm. years ago, I would say, to be more accurate. Mm-hmm. Great. So from your experience, how you would like to define soft robotics from your perspective? Because there are many definitions about soft robotics. So how you define from your perspective in the research and the experience you had? Thank you very much. Yes, that's a very good question. Maybe before I uh, define soft robotics, maybe I should define robotics, Mm -hmm. as you indicated, as also published somewhere else. uh, There is no single definition of robotics. Mm -hmm. And depending on researchers' background, educational background, they describe robotics from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So, with respect to my experience, my, my educational background, we describe robotics as the science and engineering of smart systems, smart program, reprogrammable, multifunctional, versatile devices, which link sensing to action. Mm-hmm. So, in order to requalify to be a robot, it should link sensing to action in an intelligent way. Mm-hmm. If we extend this definition to soft robotics, so soft robotics is similarly science and engineering of robotic devices, this time we call it robotic devices, primarily made of soft materials, it can be made of a combination of soft, soft and hard materials, which, which, which adapt, which conform to the situation better than their predecessors. Mm-hmm which are the systems, soft robots are the systems which can tolerate inaccuracy to, to safety. So in a way, 
so robots made of soft, so primarily made of soft materials, uh, which can be called soft, soft robots. Mm. Great. Fight the fight. Mm -hmm. So you be still more about uh, your work uh, to our audience in soft robotics. And how was the start? I, mean, yeah. I have been lucky in a way it was mm. a kind of uh, nice transition. I did my PhD in robotics many years ago. I worked on robot force control. And if you ask me, uh, soft robotics is kind of, at that time it was based on force control, how you can uh, provide touch sensing with uh, robotic systems. But at that time, uh, there was there weren't enough soft materials, materials with programmable mechanical, electrical, chemical properties, and some enabling technologies like additive manufacturing, even types of materials. So at that time, so we were doing force control to make sure that the robotic systems interact with their physical environments safely. Mm -hmm. So then I worked on artificial muscles mm. and these are the building blocks of any soft robotic system. So actuation system is the most important element of a robotic system. So, and also I have been lucky, I don't know, maybe I have been lucky or, or somehow maybe I have chosen my career direction mm. to work with a diverse group of researchers. So in, in Australia, at the University of Wollongong, where I am, and we have a center of excellence on electromaterial science. Mm -hmm. So in that center of excellence, we work with material scientists, with physicists, with, with uh, medical researchers, biologists, medical doctors, engineers, to synthesize these smart materials and then use these materials in some novel applications, some, some robotic applications, such, such as prosthetic devices. So in a way, I mean, you have to have this kind of transition. You can't, I mean, you have to have the right background in order to start any research area. Mm -hmm. So for somebody new, of course, I'm sure that they will have their research group, their supervisors, their, their understanding of how to do research. Of course, you have to have uh, relevant education background, you know the terminology, and then, then look at the literature and, and then Try to, of course, it depends on funding as well. So it's, it's not a very simple question or to give a recipe to say that if you do this and this, you can do research in soft robotics. So mm -hmm. in a way, you have to have right background and motivation and passion, more importantly, to believe in the significance of research in soft robotics or in any other area mm -hmm. to start a new research program. But mm -hmm. without knowledge, Without background, I don't think you can generate some new ideas. So you need to have enough knowledge in order to generate some new ideas to solve mm -hmm. some challenging problems. Mm -hmm. Great. So you had a rich journey in, in this field. What are the misconceptions do you think, uh, uh, if there is any, uh, you have noticed already in soft robotics field? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, some people think soft robotics is a new paradigm. Uh -huh a new research field. I don't agree with that because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, again, soft robotics kind of extension of robotics. It's again based on the progress made in conventional robotics. Mm -hmm. and so in line with recent progress in soft smart materials or, or, or these live materials or robotics materials or electroactive materials, 
and data processing, data fabrication. And so, so in a way, that was a evolution of the research field of, like an extension of research field of robotics into soft, soft robotic systems, which do not require advanced controlled algorithms or methodologies to interact with its physical environment and, 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 and for some certain applications where human-robot interaction is essential, is required, especially mm -hmm. in medical uh, applications. So in a way, I think soft robotics is not a new research field. It's not a totally new one. It's an evolution of robotics in line with some enabling technologies. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, I can say. Mm. Great. So, and, and other things, of course, yeah. there's a misconception that you have to have additive manufacturing to build robotic systems, soft robotic systems. I don't agree with that. I mean, that would be ideal, of course. Mm. Uh, additive manufacturing, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great enabling technology to, to build anything with a digital model using bottom-up fabrication uh, principle. So it's, it's very important, but you don't have to have you don't have to use additive manufacturing or molding technique to, to build a, ro a robotic system or even the elements of a robotic system, even building a, a, an actuator. So this can be a kind of misconceptions. I mean, mm -hmm. so again, uh, misconception depends on what you are doing, but these are the ones I can just talk about right now. Mm -hmm. Great. So if we just ask you about what kind of questions that haven't been asked yet by soft robotics community, something we didn't consider yet as a questions. Is there any question running in your mind that haven't yet, haven't yet considered? No, <laughs> that's a very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, again, uh, if you look at a robotic system, elements of a robotic system, um, which are actuators, sensors, mechanism, interface between the robot and its user, its uh, interface elements, its uh, electronic components, its power source, and its, its combination in a very strategic way for a, it has to be in a certain form and, and, mm -hmm. and you combine them to deliver a certain function. And if you, I mean, many questions have been asked um, but in terms of what other questions which cannot, which, which weren't asked, I mean, it's, it's not a straightforward point to make. Uh, um, I mean, I can't say too much. Uh, mm. Maybe, you know, it can be a combination of some, some materials, the hybrid materials, materials. I mean, everybody talks about it. If you, if you look at the area, maybe it's not a new idea. So I mean, the dream will be to have a material like biomaterials, like a biological material, which can pave the way towards building a biological system, a biological system which uh, integrates actuation system like the muscle, sensors, mechanical structure, power source, healing itself, maintaining itself with, with a significant uh, life cycle, mm -hmm. And, and then renew itself. So I, I guess 
many questions have been asked, but in terms of realizing a functional system which can adapt to the environment, which can approach the performance of its biological counterparts, I think this, this, this will be a big question. This is the current question. Many people, of course, talk about it. This is not a new question. But that's like a kind of dream, mm-hmm. dream aim to reach in, in soft robotics. Mm-hmm. I would like to ask you now about, about whether the community have to be focused more in embodied intelligence, developing smart materials, or just coming up with algorithms to control passive material. In other terms, some groups focusing on using passive material to actuate using cables or a pneumatic actuator, and others focusing on smart material. And I don't know if you can correct this um, this trend that some people try to avoid using smart material like any conductive polymer because of the shortage they have it already in terms of the force yeah. generated. So you are you are the best one to be uh, ask you this question. What do you think about this point? Thank you very much. I mean, again, application determines what material to use, mm-hmm. and the. The characteristics of or performance characteristics of artificial muscles cannot be suitable for many applications. For mm-hmm. applications, for example, requiring low force, low cycle life, low frequencies, and especially interaction with some biological samples, maybe some, for example, for cell tapping or anything, they can be ideal. Mm-hmm. But for other applications, for example, you can't replace electric motors with artificial muscles. Mm-hmm. So another question, we I think I can explain this question from another point of view. Mm-hmm. Until five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, we robotic researchers were in a kind of, we were kind of beggars, you know, we were kind of beggars cannot be choosers. So we had to use what material was available to us. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, this is another question being discussed, but not as large as many other questions. I mean, this is the point I raise when I deliver talks at different platforms. The materials community, the materials research has progressed significantly in the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's still progressing. It's, it's, it's one of the crucial fields which will help soft robotics to grow. So what I'm trying to say, we robotic researchers, we have to use with materials community to come with a set of performance requirements, a set of material requirements. What should be, for example, the mechanical properties of the materials, electrical properties of the materials, rheological properties of the materials, for a certain application. So in a way, to change the scenario, rather than top down, we we have a material like artificial muscles. When I started studying or working on artificial muscles, they were making some cantilever structures 15 years ago. And then we scratch our head saying, okay, I can use this one to to propel the tail of a, a, a swimming device. Then we call it robotic fish to make it very attractive. Mm-hmm. And then we built some creepers, we, we built some other devices. So we didn't necessarily 
you know, change the material properties for a certain application. Now, what we are saying, I think I can say that I have been advocate of this idea for a while with my materials colleagues in our bigger research group in Wollongong. Mm -hmm. If we come with some performance requirements, okay, mm -hmm. and then can you synthesize a material or materials which can satisfy these requirements in a way that when we convert this material into a form to realize a certain function, then it can work. So in a way, we are like, we have to close the loop around mm -hmm. many disciplines. One of the important ones is material synthesis, uh, materials processing and synthesis. So, so these are all related to this one. We have to work together closely. It's, it's not easy, of course, to work in a multidisciplinary research group, but we all have differences and those differences will bring progress. So we have to give feedback in a interactive way, in a positive way, uh, and doing this top to down kind of approach. Previously, it was a kind of bottom up. I mean, it was, I mean, like top to down means top is the function, mm -hmm. the requirements, and bottom is, is what should be the material properties. Mm -hmm. I think this will shorten the path. It will uh, help the, the fields to come with uh, some material properties which which are amenable to additive manufacturing or additive manufacturing techniques, to especially 3D printing, mm -hmm. and that will help to to to, to progress mm -hmm. to take the robot soft robotics to the next level. Great. So the question coming, I think, uh, this is really, I think, maybe important question to be asked asked to you about soft robotics is interdisciplinary field. You highlight that. First of all, do you think there is a challenging speaking different language between material and electrical and mechanical? And I would like to add at this point, because I don't know what you think about whether robots or robotics must understand how the physics happening like for instance, in ionic conductive polymer, because sometimes this material is really in high nonlinear and has hysteresis. So sometimes, if you work with someone who doesn't have a background in this material, it sounds a bit tricky, because you have to understand this behavior. I don't know is this related to the modeling, and you have many papers that uh, regard, but I don't know how you think about this. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a challenge because. Some groups lacking this this knowledge about how how to deal with this material in, in robotics. Do you think this is challenges or not? I mean, I mean, it depends on how you see. It's a challenge, of course, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, our differences should bring us together. It's like a uh, like a puzzle. It's mm -hmm. a big puzzle. Uh, if you are going to solve some global challenges in a research field, we we are the part of a big puzzle mm. complementing each other of course it won't be as smooth as a puzzle pieces of course there will be some overlap some clashes personality clashes i mean professional clashes you know every profession every research area have their culture of communication culture of doing multidisciplinary research mm -hmm. as long as we understand these differences and respect our colleagues our team members our collaborators who they are and their style, the way they do that, patiently, believing in the aim of collaboration. Mm -hmm. So collaboration is in a way, it's a very simple mathematic, mathematical equation. I mean, it's like each of you put, for example, you got two people, each of you put 0 0.5, let's say, efforts, 
that's greater than one. That's the synergy this interdisciplinary research has to bring and, and it, it, it brings. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, of course, you need to have some knowledge, not as deep as the expert. You can't. I mean, it's impossible. You can't, if you are doing research in robotics, if your background is in engineering in robotics, in modeling and control, mechatronic system integration you can't be as i mean you can't be an expert in material synthesis mm-hmm. but you should at least have basic knowledge of what they are talking about some terminology when they communicate with us we should be able to understand some basic terminology and and open to each other's feedback i mm-hmm. mean of course it's not straightforward in a way you need to like you need to have passion about what you are doing in order to see this big picture and then look at the ways how we all can bind together how we all come to the table for the same goal to solve some global challenges mm-hmm. and as if you look at it uh, you know if you look at soft robotics a very good example i don't think one field only can can be sufficient to make progress mm-hmm. as you just indicate we have to collaborate we have to cooperate knowingly uh, in a very strategic way in a very respectful way but more important in a in a passionate way you have to believe in uh, what you are working on and then work t- together towards the mm-hmm. goals of goals of that project mm-hmm. so let me ask you about how you would see intelligent soft robots in terms of material So there is now a think ongoing development to enhance the performance of the like any contact development. So from your perspective, how you would see intelligence of robotics? How you see it? Are we talking about computational uh, morphological computation? Exactly, yeah. And I mean again, that is the beauty. I mean again, if you look at if you know the history of robotics or or the last 20 30 years of robotics You know, we, we used to use control and external sensing techniques or internal ones even to control the position of a robotic arm, to position in, in space uh, and even to do force control between the robot and its environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were adding this intelligence. I mean, intelligence is to be aware of, you know, to, to make some decisions as per The conditions at hand. So in that one, we had some strict control control requirements, and then we had we have to have some sensors, and the sensors provide information about the state of the robot, state of the environment. Then you close the loop around your system and systems, mm-hmm. and then they can work together to to realize those goals. But when it is soft robotics, how can you delegate some of these intelligence some of these decision making some of this this uh, ability to interact with with, with, the, with the physical environment with a physical object mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a fixed environment this can be a human the person the robots are interacting with like cooperative robots so in a way what soft robotics is saying if i can just extend to soft robotics is saying that can we delegate some of this intelligence this decision making to the materials, smart materials we are using to make 
a robotic system, a robotic arm, a robotic gripper is also a robotic system, a prosthetic hand where you can, for example, you have a, a robotic system or a gripper, let's say, is, is interacting with some uh, agriculture produce, can it change its stiffness, match the stiffness of the environment and the object to make sure that the stiffness matching is happening, then you don't damage, you don't hurt or, or break uh, yourself, mm -hmm. the robot itself, and the environment as well. I mean, what, during some of my talks, I give a very simple example to this one mm -hmm. and ask people, why do you think we prefer to sit on soft chairs? Mm -hmm. I mean, think of the feeling when you sit on a hard chair because of compliance matching. So mm -hmm. when the compliance does not match, then you have to have some intelligence somehow um, I mean, in the chair or in the body, the person is sitting. You, after a while, you just stand up. Or so. So I think the intelligence in robotics, you can do it using classical way, mm -hmm. but there's an in intrinsic way which is based on using the programmable properties of the materials you are using to make a robot. So which is one of the aims of soft robotics. Mm -hmm. Can we do? is human machine interaction, human robot interaction, human in, uh, or robot environment interaction in a safe way without using expensive or classical or even some building sensors. Can we do it in a classical way? Mm -hmm. For example, many years ago when robot force control was very, very popular when I did my PhD many years ago, one idea was to have a, a, a dominant source of compliance in the robot structure to make robot environment interaction in a stable way. So you need to have the softness somewhere to accommodate inaccuracies, uh, some errors or unexpected conditions. So in a way, you are accommodating some, 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 some differences, some inaccuracies. So I think that that's intelligence will come through the properties of the materials you are using mm -hmm. and the design decisions you are making. I think another thing is you can also design your mechanical structure made of a soft material in a way that that can also adapt to various conditions. So not only materials, but also the mechanical design principles you are using, the topology you are choosing can be important to get that intelligence into a robotic system. Mm -hmm. Great. So I would like to ask you about about designing a fully soft robotics. In other terms, in other groups, they developed a microfluid as a controller. And in that case, we can dispense about using a rigid controller. You think this kind of aspect in, in research of robotics is worthwhile to, to investigate coming up with soft microcontroller uh, instead of the rigid one? Okay. I mean, so at the end of the controller is, is like how you can apply stimulus you can convert your input or stimulus into some mechanical output. Uh, I mean, this can be air, you know, air particles. It can be liquid, like hydraulic actuators. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, these electroactive polymers, you got ions, you send it in, volume expansion and contraction. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, microfluidics is, a, is an another area, I think, again, it's coming to the point that how you apply the stimulus. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
again, as you know, there are materials which are sensitive to, to electric field, like electric, electrically driven materials, which are electroactive materials. You've got chemically driven ones, light driven materials, you know, temperature driven, magnetically driven, magnetic responsive to magnetic fields etc so it depends on how you apply this one if I didn't misunderstand your question mm -hmm. and then if you ask me uh, many of these conversion um, methodologies or techniques uh, are not as fast as I mean electrically responsive materials are faster than, than for example light ones thermal ones. Mm -hmm magnetic ones so in a way i mean control again depends on your performance it depends on uh, on your application i mean microcontroller as long as it's made of uh, some for example stretchable electronics or flexible electronic components mm -hmm. and does the function of sending the right signal to the right sections of your your monolithic structure or, or a body of the robotic system to generate the function it is designed for, it's perfectly fine. I would like to ask you, what the challenges you have in the research? Something you would like to solve uh, or carry out the challenges in, in the research, your research? I mean, it's coming back to, to, the, to the material I just mentioned in my last uh, point. Uh, there are many, many types of materials, like mm. electrically driven, or, or, or materials responsive to, to electric field, magnetic field, mm. temperature fields, uh, and thermal field, whatever. And so it is my hope and dream to, to have a material which can switch its state quickly mm. between activation and the neutral state. Mm. I mean, think of, for example, uh, shape memory memory polymers, mm. and these are polymers. These are materials which are responsive to joule heating. Mm -hmm. They you apply joule heating, you apply some heat, and, and and then they get softened and they can take a certain shape. But if you want them to go back to the neutral state or some state in between it will not be straightforward. So there's a big discrepancy between heating and cooling in this case. Mm. So, so the question is how we can, let's say we build a system like a finger, a prosthetic hand. Mm. And how can we have a material which, which can be the, the actuation which you can have some parts made of actuation. You apply the stimulus, that part contracts, expands to generate the mechanical output. While this is happening, can that sense what happened to the overall configuration of that structure? But more importantly, how can you power it? How you, how you can provide energy to to do these this like connecting sensing to action and vice versa? Mm -hmm. So it's 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 a dream to have this 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 strategic integration of actuation sensing um, interface uh, electronics power source mm -hmm. in a compact structure 
structure which has low footprint, which is not big, which is as small as the, the biological uh, body parts, like the biological counterparts of what we are building. So, I mean, it is my dream and hope if we can, if we all work together, uh, different uh, research communities, um, ranging from biology, from materials, physics, chemistry, uh, engineering, the mathematics, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then knowing what we want, but it, it's, again, it's coming to the material. It's like a building block of what you are doing. You can design many things, but as long as, if you don't have the right material, then it's going to affect the size of your system. It's going to affect the size of your sensors, your actuators, and overall system size. And then if the size is too big, is not reasonable, then it's it's not a it's a, it's not a solution. It's just a demonstration of the principle concept. Uh, concept. Mm -hmm. So, do you have any prediction how in how many years we can have this kind of material? Just you think, in how many years should it take? So that we can reach this dream of having this material. I mean, this, of course, <laughs> again, uh, it's, it's difficult to know. It's difficult. I want to be optimistic. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, if you, I don't know, maybe if I can give a very interesting example to this one. Uh, some years ago, I think in 1950s, mm -hmm. uh, they asked one of the managers of IBM about the size of home computers in year 2000. And he was predicting that every house in year 2000 should have a room for home computer, mm -hmm. a dedicated room. So, I mean, progress in technology, progress in enabling technology, it's exponential, you know, mm -hmm. maybe slow at the beginning, and it is progressing every year. Um, so I don't want to say any years, maybe five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, uh, Hopefully, as soon as possible. It's difficult to say. I don't want to yeah. be too conservative, uh, too optimistic. But I think if you think of five years ago, ten years ago, and now, maybe this is the beginning of the progress. Maybe the progress will be expo exponential. It will be faster. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe five, ten years. I don't know. Uh -huh. Great. So, if there is any upcoming project you are we're involved in something new uh, you are in the project you have i mean projects currently uh, i'm leading a research program on uh, prosthetic soft robotics for mm -hmm. prosthetic which is one of the research teams in our center of excellence funded by australian research council mm -hmm. so the center of excellence aims to synthesize electro materials and, and understand the behavior of these materials, which the materials which are amenable to additive manufacturing, mm. and then use these materials to establish new actuation and sensing concepts, mm. and then apply them to prosthetic device, the prosthetic hands. Mm -hmm. And so currently we are working on this research program, and there are many challenges. For example, one of the important challenges is is electrodes. How can you communicate with yeah. humans, with the users, like if you take a prosthetic device? Mm -hmm. and, and so the communication is very important. How can you convert 
user's intention in a non-invasive way into controlled signals to drive a prosthetic device, a prosthetic hand or prosthetic leg and, and many other things. As we all know, everything starts in our brain, then it yeah. goes to our peripheral nervous system and then it commands the muscles and then the muscles activate to organs. But think of somebody who lost their hands and they use a technology which is I think is at least 60 years old, electromyography, electromyography uh, electrodes, EMG electrodes. Um, So Mm -hmm. there are electrical ones, they have many disadvantages like crosstalk between the electrodes very close to each other because they are electrical uh, components, uh, conductive materials, and also the impedance changes as per sweating and mislocation on the arm. And so we have to come, for example, I mean, this is the non-invasive way, but of course, some people are working yeah. on neural electrodes to, to directly communicate with the nerves to, to read user intention. Yeah. But that's invasive and that's not recommended. So one of the biggest challenges, for example, in robotics and, and soft robotics and its application to prosthetic devices is to come with a, a, a new idea, idea of electrodes to communicate with, with users, with humans in a non-invasive way. Mm. Then to identify the command, that's one thing, but there is a more challenging problem, which is the sensory feedback. How can you give that touch sensing, that warm or touch sensing or sleep or temperature back to the user, they can feel what their hand is doing, not only touching. And so it's coming back, I mean, electrode means it's two way. One is to identify user intention, which is a big area. And there are many review papers on materials for electrodes. Another one is how can we send this sensory feedback back to the user uh, in a natural way, hopefully, then we can close the loop around that prosthetic device that can help the users to, 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 to accept that prosthetic device. So, I, so we are currently working on, on this uh, pros, uh, soft robotics for prosthetic devices, and we are very excited to come with some solutions mm-hmm. and to offer better solutions, cheaper solutions, and hopefully give back to the community, to people, to our society who funds our research. Mm-hmm. Great. So I have a question here about uh, the data you got from the responses for user feedback. Sometimes this material is not, um, it's not replicable. Every time you have different uh, measurements and this is challenging as well. So I don't know if you integrating like machine learning in, in data and in reading the data yeah. and interpreting. I don't yes. know if this is challenging or in, in terms of having reproducible uh, result. I mean, that's a very good question. I didn't uh, talk about uh, machine learning. And you asked me a question about in- intelligence, of course. That's mm-hmm. machine, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And of course, uh, you have to, but at the same time, that will add a cost. Mm-hmm. If you have a machine learning algorithm making decisions about the control and operation of your system, means you got some kind of processor which takes the data, which processes, which calculates some features, and then 
makes a decision on your behalf. That's the artificial intelligence. So that's going to require power. That's going to require some extra components. So the question is, I mean, this is always there. I mean, machine, by the way, machine learning or artificial intelligence is not a new new area at all. Mm. That's also old. Yeah. It has been discussed for many years, but computers were very slow. Algorithms were primitive. It didn't make too much progress 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now, everything is getting faster and lots of data is available and we can, we can uh, you know, use this data to, to come with some, some algorithm, deep learning algorithms, different algorithms to, to, to use this data and to make decisions on our, on our behalf, on, our, on behalf of our system. I mean, I mean, for example, we, it, a good, good thing, I think there was a paper publishing in Science Robotics last year, was that maybe we should use mm -hmm. uh, feedback control and machine learning together to enhance the performance of intelligent systems, to make them more intelligent. Mm -hmm. So again, it's coming back, you see, it's coming back again to multidisciplinary one, to bring uh, different uh, strengths from different areas to, to, to contribute to the solution of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a classical problem or a hard problem. So artificial intelligence is important, machine learning is important, of course it has its own deficiencies and that area is also getting important for soft, for soft robotics, for mm -hmm. material synthesis as well. There is an area people are talking about using machine learning or artificial intelligence to, to synthesize some, some materials, how to synthesize better materials. Mm -hmm. So that's not my area. So that area is getting important. It can be used in decision making, in optimization, in, in control and, and uh, pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, we, are, we have a research project in my research group um, to use machine learning to identify the user intention, user's intention as a pattern. Mm -hmm. A pattern you read from the muscle activities, for example, to understand the pattern for the movement of the thumb, the movement of the pointer, the movement of the fingers for power grasp. And then as soon as you, you collect this data from the muscles and fit to your microcontroller, microprocessor, and then your microprocessor make a decision about your intention and then relevant control signals are sent to the actuators of the prosthetic hand to bring the hand, the hand fingers to a certain configuration to undertake a task. Mm -hmm. So machine learning is also very important in prosthetic devices. Again, this is not a new idea. And there are some commercial products based on pattern recognition. Um, but with progress in soft robotics, in smart materials, there can be some better human machine interface elements, better electrodes to be used in, in, in conjunction with machine learning to, to deliver some better performances and better outcomes. Mm -hmm. Great. So do you think that there is something like ethics or regulation that we have to come up with in, in terms of using this material for this kind of applications? Because I think I, I don't know what you think about this point about there's ethical issues we have to consider and regulation. Yeah, yeah, I got your point. I think we have to. And I, I didn't mention in the research group I'm involved, uh, this Australian Research Center for Electro Science, where we have our uh, 
robotics program, soft robotics program for prosthetic devices. We also have a research group called Ethics, Policy and Public Engagement. Mm -hmm. So we work a group of social scientists, mm. philosophers, people who are not engineers, mm. and work with them to look at to consider ethical issues before we make a decision. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's essential to, to come with a technology with, with progress, which is not detrimental, that's not harmful to society, to its users. While this is one basic expectation, we, we rely on our common sense and judgment. Mm -hmm. Another side of this one, whatever we are doing, we have to talk to the end users. We have to include end users right from the beginning in our research. What do they want from a new soft robot? What do they want from a new prosthetic hand? That is exactly what we did in our research program four years ago, I think, approximately four years ago, we designed a survey. Mm -hmm. We organized a survey in collaboration with our ethics research group to ask prosthetic hand users, what do they want from a new prosthetic hand? That's a fascinating point. So, yeah. because there is literature, for example, for prosthetic devices, that's very relevant to soft robotics, the acceptance rate of those expensive prosthetic hands is very low. And one third of times, according to some sources, 40% of the times, Although the users have a prosthetic hand, very expensive one, they don't want to use it mm -hmm. because it's a foreign object attached to their body. So what we did in that survey, we said, look, before we design a new prosthetic hand, before we design a pattern recognition system, before we come some, for some alternative uh, electrodes for the human device interface, Let's get the view of the end user. What do these people want from a new technology? That's a great so point. that's very important. Yeah. The, the, the science and technology community, the, the, I mean, science and engineering community or research community, if I take our side, can't do their research in isolation. We have to work also with other group of people like social scientists, even business people. I mean, that's another thing. If you are going to translate your idea, into application, into a product, you have to work with, with business people. I mean, that's fine. But ethics one is certainly important. For example, in ethics, in, in prosthetic devices, you don't want to develop a prosthetic device, for example, using the principles of soft robotics to, to augment human capabilities. You don't want to augment unless, of course, what you are building, this can be like an assistive device, like an exoskeleton to help a worker in the factory to do their job better, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to develop a, a novel device based on your research, this research in soft robotics, which augments human capability. It should help to restore normality. Mm. It should be for the ben benefit of humankind. I mean, it's, it's great. Technology is neutral. If you use it in the proper way, that's perfect. So we researchers also have to make our decision in an ethical way. We have to engage the public. We have to engage 
uh, other stakeholders outside our community. Because at the end of the day, we are, what we are trying to deliver should have societal impact. So mm-hmm. there will be end users. But the more we include the end users in our research right at the beginning, the better it will be for us. That's that's very important and great point. How we can make sure that soft robotics developed in general with the community is really beneficial to human. Because in somehow, some points, uh, as you highlighted, we want to make sure that it is just beneficial and have a true impact. So do you think, what do you think, how we can make sure that the developed soft robotics currently is really beneficial to human as all? You see, that's a good, good point. That's a very good question. Again, it's coming to my previous point. Before mm-hmm. we design, of course, before we design a robotic system or before we come with a solution for a certain problem, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about a new actuation concept, a sensing concept. I mean, these are basic elements, assuming that they are there. So we need to, again, follow this top to down approach. If we know the application, what are the application requirements? Application requirements mean, means it's going to meet a need. So there should be a need. Need means there is a, a there is a there is a problem. There is a uh, there is a maybe a product but which is not functioning well. Maybe it's not affordable. Maybe it's not uh, affordable that it can be again, commonly used, for example, prosthetic hand. If I can open a process here, current prosthetic hands on the market are very expensive, $50,000, $30,000, $20,000. But can we make the same thing, but can you make it affordable? Can you make it accessible? So it's like if you if you know your application from the beginning with with the view that it should have societal impact. I mean, of course, you can have academic impact, like publishing papers, mm-hmm. generating new knowledge, new data, contribute to the literature, which is great. We always have that one in our research aims. But we researchers cannot afford to ignore not to have societal benefits as at the conclusion of our research. So we have to have national and international benefits yeah. of our research. We can't afford to do research with uh, minimum or, or no societal benefits. Of course, academic benefits are always always there, but we have to have these societal benefits, these, these uh, social, economical uh, benefits for our society, for, 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 for human kind for, for, for the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's again, I mean, again, my advice to be somebody, if, if possible, it will be always a good idea, for example, before starting a new PhD project, if possible, when possible, to have an application right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it will be great to have a sponsor, for example, to have an industry or end user sponsor, for example, mm-hmm. uh, right at the beginning of a project to identify the project goals, to identify what is the problem, what important problem we are going to solve at the conclusion of this research project. So if we write, if we put the right framework, right principles around our research problem, 
I'm sure there will be some benefits. Of course, you have to aim the most beneficial way. I mean, it may not be the way you expected, but at least if you can approach to the best possible uh, benefits, that will be that will be great and motivating. We have to have that. Mm-hmm. Another question about using a smart betrayal in cancer therapy. Do you think that this is, could be really a reliable solution since we design micro swimmers or micro particles or nanoparticles, I mean, to stick with the tumors? Do you think this kind of research is going on now? Is just in going the right direction or is there something missing? Because it sounds promising to have this kind of survey. I mean, it is very uh, exciting, it's very tempting to do research in uh, this um, drug delivery yeah. particle. It's, it's uh, again, it's coming to my previous point. But the question is, I mean, people are working on this, uh, this therapeutic or these um, micro nano sized drug particles. Mm-hmm. They're working on, on different polymers, different drug delivery agents in different forms, in a liquid form, in a gel form, in, in, in the powder form, you know, that's that. I mean, powder, of course, people inhale, it goes to the whole body. So the idea is site-specific, deliver at the right spot, at the right time, at the right dose. Mm-hmm. See, so you need to deliver the the agent to the to the right spot. So it's, yeah. it's a kind of you need to have a robotic system. This can be through a needle, but needle. I mean, you can put in the skin, but that's not sufficient. That's not the target. Target should be it, it's a lung or it's a, mm-hmm. a, a GI tract, gastrointestinal tract, and it should go and and target that tumor or that site. Mm-hmm. So there are many challenges here. I mean, making drugs in different forms is one challenge, and, and there are lots of papers coming out in that area, in the group I am in, some people work on on, on drugs, drug delivery, yeah. make drugs, yeah. uh, the micro nano size one. But to me, as, as somebody in robotics, we need to have a career, a, a cargo delivery system. Yeah. I mean, this robotic capsule is a great example. For example, we, we recently received a patent on a robotic capsule for drug delivery. Let's say you swallow this capsule and it goes to the destination in the gastrointestinal tract, not in the bloodstream. That's very difficult. That's a big, big challenge. Mm-hmm. Let's say it goes through stomach, you know, small intestine, colon, all this, and it came to a destination. And then you need to know where to stop because you can't stop easily. Anchoring is a big problem. Mm-hmm. So. It's again coming to the same point, multidisciplinary, drug delivery, making this wanting delivery, then release. Then how can you release at the right location, right dose and right time? Mm -hmm. Then how can you dispose this one when it finishes its job? It should be biodegradable, I believe. For example, for those robotic capsules, that's not possible, but you make it as small as possible when it finishes its job, it can then pack up and then continue its journey like the, the capsule and endoscopic capsules currently being used in, in, in treatment in diagnostic for diagnostic purpose. So it's a very exciting area, it's an important area. Mm-hmm. I think its progress will depend on progress in other areas like uh, 
for example, uh, that capsule, endoscopy capsule was invented in year 2000. And people knew there was a need for such a device, but they couldn't make it because the size of cameras, size of batteries, size of electronic components were not uh, there to, to put all these important components yeah. in a volume as, as, as small as the size of a vitamin peel. So that has been possible at the beginning of year 2000. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, as you see, no technology, no progress happens in isolation. It depends on surrounding technologies and surrounding research uh, uh, outcomes. And, uh, and then whoever sees all this progress and bring all these pieces together in an innovative way will be the winner, will be the co- contributor. Mm-hmm. So that area is very, very important. I think that area is an area I, I'm very interested in and it's very it's yeah. like kind of science fiction and how can we realize it in smaller passages in the body is the biggest challenge. That's yeah. why people are working on these robotic capsules which goes through the stomach, through the GI tract because that's large enough and you can put a battery, you can use magnetic uh, propulsion to move it around. Mm-hmm. So, but still uh, lots of way to go to make it smaller for other parts. And of course it comes to, to some implantable drug delivery systems. Again, uh, you don't want to have a surgery to implant a device in the body, which will work for a couple of months, but then how can you dispose it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So do you think that the general public is aware of uh, the potential um, benefit we can get soft robotics? Do you think they perceiving the, the this technology? Do you think that? I mean, again, as I said, we are lucky to work with a group of researchers and, uh, and that research program called Ethics, uh, Policy and Public Engagement. Mm-hmm. It all depends on how you engage the public in your research. Mm-hmm. Um, the researchers, universities have, have the duty of uh, informing the public through using their language, not using uh, a research language or advanced language to explain what the technology is and what what is the benefits of our research mm-hmm. so that these people can get comfort in in their taxes because they are the taxpayers uh, most of the time funding our research. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also our duty, uh, our duty as researchers to interact with the public. I mean, end user is one group, of course, they got their, 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 their networks, yeah. they can share with their network, but for the wider community, it's our duty to deliver guest lecture, to deliver uh, seminars and conference. I mean, conference maybe is too advanced for them. For the public events, this can be open days uh, for, the, for the universities. And I think it's our duty as well to, to publicize, to, to work with different uh, groups, mm-hmm. and especially because these are the groups who will lobby on your behalf with their uh, representative in the government for funding and similar. As you see here, everything is, is connected to each other. So we need to talk to public who knows what we are doing and benefits of what we are 
what we are going to deliver to the public and then the public can get motivated, can understand and educated about this and then that can close the loop mm -hmm. around the research and research funding. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. So now for more philosophic questions. As you are a well-respected researcher, do you think ego is important for a researcher? Ego? Mm -hmm. I think ego, we should throw the ego out of the window. Oh, okay. We all have different personalities, we, have, we all have different backgrounds, different profession, different uprising. Mm -hmm. We are human, we are not machines. So it's, it's all about uh, being respectful and having empathy, having understanding mm. and respecting differences, respecting uh, whoever, whatever, who has uh, to bring to the table. So. I mean, especially in multidisciplinary teams, um, there is no place for ego unless we become more tolerant, more open, and more respectful. And then it's better to come together, to bind together, bind better. So ego, I mean, we can, I mean, ego is, is 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 not a good good personal trait to have. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't work in silos anymore. Yeah. And, uh, so ego, I think it's, it's, it's one of the enemies of working on a team. We have to put our egos outside the door or out of the window and, mm. and make sure that that, that doesn't get uh, in front of us to, to, to work together. That's a good point. So did you ever design a robot and ending up using in your home? You have any robots in your home? <laughs> well, that's a good one. I mean, again, in my generation, where I was grown, I didn't have that opportunity. I mean, we build things, we, we nail things, we weld things, we join things, but I didn't have the opportunity to have, uh, you know, now if you go to some hobby shops, hobby websites that are nice packages, nice, um, uh, you know, gifts, presents, you can buy and put together and, and, and use your creativity to come with some different designs. I mean, I mean, I didn't have that opportunity uh, to, to build, but I made lots of things, lots of mechanical things, but not electronic ones like or electromechanical ones. And uh, I mean, I, I did with my children. I have yeah. them <laughs> with their toys. I sometimes even took some of their toys from their rooms to my office to show my students some, some very simple concepts. I mean, toys are the best uh, affordable objects you can buy to, to see some interesting concepts in, in, in many respects. So, no, to, to be honest, I didn't have that opportunity. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so I can't say I, I had it, but I'm happy with uh, what I had and what I have achieved so far. That's great. So, um, as you are a PhD supervisor, what are the main qualities you're looking for as a student? You're looking for the skills or the traits. How you look to the student when you have when you have it in your lab, he or she? Yeah, thank you. I mean, of course, they should be in the same fields. They should uh, they should at least have evidence. They have the right educational background, they, they have the knowledge, that's important. I mean, that's the first thing on the paper. You don't know somebody who is sending you an email, mm -hmm. uh, how good they are, how well they will 
fits into your team. You don't know it. Yeah. So the first thing we look at it is to look at what's on the paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays, of course, what's on the paper is not necessarily fully accurate of it represents the, the, the accurate picture. But you have to use your experience and then have an idea about those essential, uh, essential, uh, what should I say, essential, not criteria, essential achievements or essential, uh, uh, this can be education, this can be experience, this can be something they published or this can be something through you know, the group you know. So after knowing that, okay, this person can be my PhD student, then we look at them, how passionate they are about the topic, the area they want to do research in. Mm-hmm. And are they team players? Do they have egos? I mean, I mean, knowing ego is not easy, of course. Right? At the beginning, now we do, for example, before even I start uh, in accepting students for even submitting the paperwork or applying online, whatever, I always have a Skype meeting in advance. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do is to have a Skype meeting to talk to person whether they are real people. Mm-hmm. How can I be sure that they are not a soft robot? Yeah. I mean, talk to them and, and, and then try to understand their motivation, why they want to do PhD, what is their career goal? Mm-hmm. And ask them about their experience, how to solve a problem. Can these people be independent researchers? Because, mm-hmm. for example, personally, I don't like spoon feeding. In the first six months, it's fine, you know, to help to like putting a student or, or whatever. I mean, I mean, a student or research group on a, on a track, like a rail track, and you give them some initial inputs and you help them, you give them the tools, you give them the ability, capability, and you want them to go through the track for the aim, for the destination, knowing that there is a control system or there's an observer who is the supervisor or the rest of the group to guide them. So because this is important for their development, you want somebody who wants to develop, who wants to learn, who is is quick to learn and who is open to learn, who is open to feedback. So through some some questions, through some chat, you want somebody who is all around there. You don't want to have a purely academic, you know, who, who does great research, but the communication skills are not there. Yeah. So, in a way, um, I don't know. These are it's very difficult to to put something, but we want somebody who is open, who is keen, who is enthusiastic, who is passionate, mm-hmm. and who is open. And and then, of course, they should have great communication and interpersonal skills too. I mean, advice. I mean, advice. Of course, I worked with some great people. My PhD supervisor, he helped me a lot. I learned a lot from him, from my master supervisor, master thesis supervisor, from my undergraduate thesis supervisor. And also, I believe I also learned from my professors when I was a student trying to imitate or try to uh, uh, learn some positive practices they use for teaching, for learning, for research. And in a way, you combine with your personality to come with your own way of solving problems. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, you have to be patient, for example. I mean, this is something you have to learn. You learn. You have to stay calm and dedicated mm. and, and um, be passionate and uh, know what you are doing. You need, you need to 
be sure that you are knowledgeable, you have enough knowledge before you develop some new ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is, um, it's again, it's a big question. It's, it's difficult to say that I received this advice from this person and that changed my life. The only thing I can say, I was planning to work as an engineer and then I got a scholarship and to do master and I didn't go to that country, then I had a better opportunity to do PhD and then I liked it, then I continued, I always did my best to enjoy it mm-hmm. and uh, I always had empathy with my students, I always put myself in their place when I was a PhD student, when I was an undergraduate student or a master student or a final year student, what was the good practice, how can I help my students to to realize their dreams, to realize yeah. their career goals. That's and I do this one in an honest and fair and open way. And uh-huh. We have to be honest, fair and direct with our students, with our colleagues, and explain to them why we are doing, why they should do it. And uh, hopefully somebody will listen to you, somebody will get some, learn something from you. That's how I learn from whoever I work with. So there, there have been many people around me. I mean, some of my senior colleagues, friends, students, family, of course. And so uh, it's, it's not like a one thing. Everything is in, in, in harmony. You have to have this right balance mm-hmm. to be, to be a, a great researcher. But more importantly, you have to have passion yeah. to, do, to do research. If you don't have passion, if you don't have motivation to be a researcher, to do PhD, I advise uh, our listeners not to do higher degree research. Mm. It's not for everybody. It is 24-7. You have to like it. You have to love it. Mm-hmm. You have to have passion in order to be successful. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. So I would like to ask at the end. We are done end. If there's any final words you would like to share to the audience or soft robotics community, final words. I mean, it says thank you very much, first of all, for giving me this opportunity. And uh, again, uh, multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary research is important. Uh, we should uh, be open to collaboration, cooperation, new ideas. And uh, you don't know where the ideas will come, where you will get extra motivation, where you will get uh, a, 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 a spark yeah so important problem you have been working on so it's it will be it is great to to be open uh, to 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 have minimum ego when when working with a with a big group mm-hmm. and i mean my 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 principle is like this in general again i think it was Roosevelt, one of the american presidents says a calm sea never created a skillful salesman. So it's, it's, it's not straightforward, it's hard work, it's dedication. These points are for junior ones. So there are lots of senior, senior colleagues who don't need my advice. For junior ones, uh, if you are prepared for this journey, it's an enjoyable journey. It's a, um, for a journey to take it. It's a, uh, it's a great one. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway. Yeah. Thanks so much. It is such an honor to talk to you, Professor Alisi, and 
And on behalf of IEEE Soft Robotics, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.